So this is my first time speaking um, about what I'm going to talk to you about today. Because I would say that it has been a painful journey and that I really didn't think that God was here with me through the journey. So I want to begin this morning by talking about two young women who grew up thinking that God would do one, I'm sorry, that they would be one thing, but God changed them to be something else. So we're going to talk about two young women. This morning's talk is called Preparing with a Purpose. And I want to leave you with this question. Are you allowing God to prepare you for a purpose? Thirty-some years ago, a little girl grew up on the East Coast. She was raised by her mom and dad, and she had a little sister. In addition to her parents, her grandparents were an everyday part of her life. Holidays and birthdays, weekend road trips. Her life was just filled with joy and laughter with her family. She was never alone. Her family was always there for her, and she was there for them. She loved singing and dancing. She embodied joy, and, she, and her life greatly resembled this poem that her grandma knitted on a pillow for her. Um, it's by Henry Alfred Dixon. God made the world with its towering trees, majestic mountains, and restless seas then stopped and said, it needs one more thing. Someone to laugh and dance and sing, to walk in the woods and gather flowers, to commune with nature in quiet hours. So God made little girls with laughing eyes and bouncing curls, with joyful hearts and infectious smiles, enchanting ways in feminine wiles. And when he completed the task he'd done, he was pleased and proud of the job he'd done. For the world, when seen through a little girl's eyes, greatly resembles paradise. And that's pretty much what um, I looked like <laughs> growing up. At a young age, she accepted Christ as her Lord and Savior. Uh, she went to church with her families on Sundays and Wednesdays. And Christ was part of her life, but not the center. Her ties were to her family. Upon graduation, high school graduation, she started her undergraduate at Penn State, earned her four-year bachelor's degree in biochemistry and molecular biology. It was there at college she met her future husband, and her desire in life was to get married and be a mother, and that was it. She wanted to be a housewife just like her mom, she didn't want to work full-time or have a career outside of her home. Um, her favorite show currently is the Dick Van Dyke. Can you hear me now? OK. 
However, God led her in a totally different direction. Um, just as a side note, she and her husband have been trying for nine years to get pregnant. So is it working now? Thank you. Okay, so God, however, led her in a totally different direction. She was accepted in the pharmacy school and earned her doctorate in pharmacy. During the last year of pharmacy school, she and her fiancé married, and it sounds simple to say, but finding the right pharmacist job was incredibly difficult. Um, she knew she didn't want to work at the CVSs, However, when she interviewed at hospitals, all they wanted was someone with experience working in a hospital. So it took a year after graduation to find a full-time position working for IHS in Arizona. Her family was devastated when she told them about God's plan for her and her husband to move to Arizona. And so in 2013, they drove 2,000 miles away to follow God's leading. To say that her heart felt ripped out of her body doesn't even come close to the pain and complete loneliness she felt. She had always depended upon and trusted her family for everything. She knew about God, but her understanding of him was that he was good in the terms of what goodness meant to her. So my question for you is, what does it mean for you to follow Christ? You see, God had to take me from a place of utter dependence on others to utter dependence on him. God literally took me to the desert, both spiritually and literally. My husband and I moved to Red Mesa, Arizona, does anyone know where Red Mesa, Arizona is? It's a town of 480 people. 
when, at the time we moved there. It's um, at the four corners of Utah, Colorado, Arizona, and New Mexico. The town we moved from had a population of 100,000 people. The only things that were there was the school, the outpatient clinic that I worked in, the compound in which we lived, and a gas station, and that was it. All that surrounded us was desert. We came from Pennsylvania that had trees and lakes, pond streams, green. Everything was green. And we moved to a place of red, of brown, of snakes, scorpions, and the dry, hot desert heat. And I cannot talk about my story without talking about Hosea 2. I know Kim talked about Hosea 2, and I know that Susie's going to, but um, I cannot talk about my story without Hosea chapter 2. Please read this chapter. So God told his bride, the Israelites, that he's going to continue to be faithful to her and to bring Israel back into relationship with him. Hosea chapter 2 reads, and this is God speaking. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards, and I will make the valley of trouble, Achor, a door of hope. Later on in that chapter, God says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. And that was my journey. And it was here in the desert where God redeemed. He saved my relationship with him and my husband. It's also in the desert where God displays who he is to Israel. Um, God uses the wilderness and desert so many times. Um, definitely in my life. I don't know about your life. But um, in Nehemiah chapter 9, um, it reads, Because of your great compassion, because of the Lord's great compassion, he did not abandon the Israelites in the wilderness. By day the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. God gave his good spirit to instruct them. He did not withhold manna from their mouths, and he gave them water for their thirst. For 40 years, God sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor their feet become swollen. Are you allowing God to prepare you for his purpose? The second girl we're going to talk about today is Hadassah. Does anyone know who Hadassah is in the Bible? Yes. Yep, Esther. She's better known under the name Esther, but her real name is Hadassah. The story is set more than 100 years after the Babylonians exiled the Jews from their land. While some Jews returned home back to Jerusalem, many did not. Here in the book of Esther, there's a group of Jews living in Susa, within the Persian Empire. 
And the main characters of this story are two Jews, Hadassah and Mordecai, Hadassah's cousin, the king of Persia, whose name is King Xerxes, and the Persian villain, whose name is Haman. The curious thing about this book is that God is never mentioned. Wouldn't you think that a book in the Bible would have to mention God somewhere in the text? But throughout the whole book, you see God's preparing of Hadassah and his people. God is at work. He's not visible to the naked eye, but his workmanship is seen throughout the text. And one of my favorite quotes from A.W. Tozer that kind of set for me this whole talk A.W. Tozer wrote, while it seems, while it looks like things are out of control, behind the scenes there is a God, and he hasn't surrendered his authority. So the story begins with King Xerxes throwing a party, and all of its purpose is to show off his greatness and his splendor. On the last day of his feast, he, de he demands that his queen his wife, Queen Vashti, appear to the party to show off her beauty. She refuses, and the king throws her out of his kingdom. He then decides to throw a beauty pageant because he wants to find a new king, and it's here that the story introduces Hadassah and Mordecai. Hadassah grew up with no mother and no father. Her cousin Mordecai took her in and raised her. Hadassah is also forced to hide who she is, her Jewish identity, under the fake name of Esther. Due to the king's edict, she is forced out of her home to enter this beauty pageant. Now before a girl, and King um, Ken mentioned this yesterday too, now before a girl could enter the king's presence, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatment. It was six months with oil from myrrh and six months with perfumes and cosmetics. She would then be allowed to enter into the king's presence, but would not be allowed to return unless he was pleased with her and summoned her by name. So that's really important to remember this in the story. She was never allowed to return unless he summoned her by name. So can you imagine this kind of preparation? a whole year of preparing before she was allowed to enter into the king's presence. And she was only, would only be allowed if he summoned her. Now, if she wasn't summoned by him, what does the law read? That she would die unless the king held out his gold scepter to her. So with God working behind the scenes, Esther wins the beauty pageant and becomes the new queen. Her name is Queen Esther. Later, we're introduced to our villain, gentlemen. His name is Haman. King Xerxes elevates Haman to the highest position of the kingdom. And every knee has to bow to Haman. But Mordecai and other Jews did not. Of course, this outraged Haman who takes his complaint to King Xerxes. And Haman persuades the king to 
to enact the decree that anyone who does not bow to Haman must be annihilated, the whole people group. What does that mean? Well, that means that King Xerxes allowed Haman to um, annihilate all the Jews. So Mordecai tells Esther what Haman plans to do, to kill all of the Jews. Esther cannot believe what she's hearing. And here is the famous quote that you probably have heard many times from Esther. Mordecai tells her, do you think that because you are in the king's house, that you alone of all the Jews will escape? For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your family's house will perish. And who knows but that you have come to this royal position for such a time as this. Mordecai believes that God will rescue his people, even if Esther is not part of the plan. And he tells Esther that maybe you were made a queen for this very purpose. Esther responds with these very much bold words. And she says, go, gather everyone, gather all the Jews and fast for me. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. You see, Esther was willing to risk her life for the Jews' freedom. God was setting up events that didn't make sense separately. But together as a whole, God turned it around for good. And we see this many times in the Bible. In the book of Genesis, chapter 50, when Joseph reunites with his brothers who betrayed him, Joseph says to his brothers, out of God's redeeming power, Joseph says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So when Esther approached the king, which was against the law, he was actually pleased with her, and he gave her his gold, he set out his gold scepter. The king then asked her what she wanted. Esther asked that the Jews' lives be saved from Haman's edict. And how does the story end? Well, the, Jew, um, the story ends with the Jews being saved from annihilation of Haman. So God put Mordecai and Esther in position to save the lives of the Jews. What King Xerxes did for pride, for power, for sex, God redeemed and saved a nation, even a nation that rebelled by not returning to Jerusalem. And I will end it with A.W. Tozer's quote again, that while it looks like things are out of control, that things that do not make sense, behind the scenes there is a God who hasn't surrendered his authority. God has prepared Esther for a purpose. Are you allowing God to prepare you for a purpose?